I don't know if you caught it or not, but Jesus told the three disciples not to tell anyone about this vision until after the resurrection. How good at keeping secrets are you? (laughs) I can't go to a nice restaurant and have a nice meal without posting it on social media or something along those lines. Can you imagine this vision and then being told to keep it secret? Barbara Brown Taylor says that preachers should not even preach the transfiguration because Jesus said, keep it quiet until after the day of resurrection. I believe Peter probably had a tough time with this. We know how impulsive Peter was rushing into things, cutting off people's ear, trying to defend Jesus on another mount, by the way, the Mount of Olives. Peter, I wonder if he kept a secret. I wonder if James and John became quiet little Jerusalem church mice. Here's the thing about this reading today. It's the final epiphany of Jesus the Christ before his full glory is revealed atop Mount Calvary. He had preached his signature sermon on the mount, but he came down in the valleys to do ministry, and now today he ascends another mountain for a short time because mountaintop experiences are always temporary. They're not infinite, they're finite. It will not be the last time that Jesus will descend a mountain top. Calvary's coming. Just a few weeks from now, we're going to enter into Holy Week. And we're going to think about Golgotha. We're going to think about Jesus ascending up to the cross and then descending into the earth's tomb. But he will rise only to climb once again the Mount of Ascension and to be seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty until he shall come again and judge the living and the dead, as we say each and every week. So, The biblical narrative, the Gospels tell us about life's ups and downs, but there's coming a day, we're preparing for this during Lent, there's coming a day when there will be no more downward mobility of Jesus. It's all upward, and the next time he comes is down to redeem all of humanity. Isn't that a beautiful thought to keep in mind? You know, strange things happen in the Bible when people go on top of mountains, and part of the temptation of the preacher is to explain it away into some kind of proven fact or enlightened perspective. But this story has a Harry Potter feel to it, does it not? I mean, it really does. These travel clothes all all of a sudden become dazzling white and their faces shine. They glow and voices from the clouds start speaking. Peter is so terrified. I mean, if we think about fight, flight, or, or freeze, Peter goes into this freeze mode and wants to just lock everything down. Let's let's just build three houses and make this permanent. We can make this happen, Lord, right now. But mountaintop experiences are temporary. The majority of life happens in the valleys. So I appreciate how this text defies physics and how it sort of punches my enlightened mind when I try to make sense of it all and prove it happened and where it happened, but what we need, friends, we need a little bit of enchantment and magic and wonder and mystery in our lives. Science and faith 
The physical and the mystical, they're not in competition with each other. They're all bound up together. That's why I love traditional worship. I shared last week how important something like an order of worship is in my life. We have it not for perfunctory reasons, but because as chaotic as my life is and our lives can be outside on Sundays when we leave this mountaintop, 2416 Cloverdale Park, I need a little bit of order. I need something to help shape me and to form me. So science and faith are not polarities. They, they work together. We know this about liturgy. When we step into the holy, like those moments when a child is born. I believe that God heals through science, like Tamiflu. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> yeah. Or when anesthesia kicks in. I love that, that God continues to hold these things together and make God's self known. But I love our liturgically traditional experience because we can take ordinary elements like water and bread and some wine and we know that, that beneath those and as part of those, there's a mysterious grace. There's a deeper story. And so the physical and the mysterious, they all come together and it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Peter said it is good for us to be here. And I think part of what he's expressing is the physical reality and the wonderment of it all wrapped up together. So we need some of that kind of perspective in our lives. You know, Lent begins this Wednesday. And for 40 days, not counting Sundays, you can have your cheat day on Sunday if you want. Or as somebody told me one time, they, they, bank, they bank their Sundays and then the last week of Holy Week, you know, they get to splurge a little bit for a week solid or whatever it is. Isn't that great? I love that. Love it. But for the next 40 days, we'll purge our lives and we'll examine our hearts and we will give up some things that are standing in the way of us becoming more holy for the sake of Christ's work in and through us in the world. But we'll also take up something. So what I want you to start thinking about over the next three days is what will you give up and what will you take up for Lent to become more holy? And holiness, in our Wesleyan tradition, is inward holiness and outward holiness. It's personal holiness and it's social holiness as well. So we need some perspective this season. Part of that perspective could be a reminder not to take ourselves too lightly. It could equally be a reminder not to take ourselves too seriously. It could be that we need some perspective on how not to take others too lightly. They have real physical, emotional needs, but also not to take others too seriously either when they try to do harm. Transfiguration Sunday is the church's way of climbing a tall tree when hiking in order to get a lay of the land. And what we do is we peek back at the past to have some perspective on the present to see where we're going in the future. And we're entering into this week of Lent beginning on Wednesday. And the perspective that we need atop this mount of transfiguration today is to see that we're heading to the cross. We're headed into Holy Week.
Fred Craddock says that this mountaintop experience, the one we just read about in Matthew's Gospel, it's not one where people write glowingly of sunrises and soft breezes and warm friends and music and quiet time, because on this mountaintop, the subject is death. And the frightening presence of God reduces those present to silence. The presence of God reduces us to silence, to listen. So this Wednesday, I invite you on a journey. Just to my left and to your right out here in the Garth, beginning at 7 a.m., our ministers, our clergy team will have ashes that will be prepared tonight from burning the Palm Sunday branches from last Palm Sunday, and we'll grind those into a fine powdery ash. Beginning at 7 a.m. in our garth, we'll begin imposing ashes every quarter hour on the foreheads of those who want to come and begin their day making a statement that, as it says in Genesis 2, God rolled up his sleeves and dug into the dirt and breathed life into the dirt, and life called humanity was formed. And what we'll remember over the next 40 days is that when we die, that same breath goes back to God and we go back to the earth from where we came. So what do you say? Ashes on our foreheads Wednesday morning. Because 40 days from then, at 7 o'clock in the morning, in the same garth, we will be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ over death itself. That evening, Ash Wednesday evening, we'll gather right here, and we will begin observing a label-free Lent, something a little different. Many of you recall a few years ago, we observed an alcohol-free Lent. Do you remember that? And any money that was otherwise spent on alcohol was given to the Spirit Fund. I thought that was creative. Yep. This year, we'll observe a label-free Lent because guess what? We find all kind of ways to divide ourselves. We label ourselves with shame and guilt. We allow others to do that to us. We do that to other people. What I want each and every one of us, or how I want each and every one of us to be identified over the course of Lent and over the course of all of life is as a child of God redeemed by Christ and gifted by the Holy Spirit. If that can be our identifying marker, we can change the world. No more shame, no more guilt. So there's going to be a cross in worship each and every week. And during the the course of, of our worship services on Sundays, we're going to lay at the feet of the cross, labels that we've taken off of ourselves or that we want to help others pull off or ways that we see society labeling itself. And we're going to give those to God to be swallowed up in the tomb and never to return. Observe a label-free Lent. That's Wednesday. The question is, how might Lent change our perspective about the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see God and the way that we see other people? We can do that together on our journey toward the cross. We're in this glorious, glorious space today. It is like no other. It is mysterious. It's magical. 
It evokes a sense of wonder, does it not? We don't get to stay here. As much as I'd like to hang out with y'all every waking hour right here in the sanctuary throughout the week, we can if you want, but there's so much work to be done between Sundays. That's when we become the church. And so if you look even on your local mission areas, that's why we leave after an encounter with the holy on this very hill and head back into our zip codes because there's so many people who need to be fed and clothed and heard. The voice of God called out from the clouds and said, this is my son, listen. So what does Jesus say? Well, he says things like, I am the bread of life for all of those who have hungry souls. I am the resurrection and the life for all people who feel entombed and entrapped by life. I am the true vine for those who feel cut off from anything fruitful and substantive. I am the sheep gate. I am the good shepherd and I will protect you. When God says, listen to my son, he's, he's saying, listen to my son when he says things like, Heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and feed and clothe and visit and welcome. Because, you see, we're being transformed and transfigured, not for our own selves, but for the sake of others. Because we are the body of Christ. So my first suggestion is that we take our baptism seriously. On page 34 in your hymnal, we ask these questions at every baptism. You can look at them if you like. On behalf of the whole church, do you renounce wickedness and evil? And do you repent? Do you accept the freedom that you have to resist evil and injustice and oppression? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and put your trust in, in His grace and promise to serve Him in union with Christ's offering? to people of all ages and nations and races? And will you remain a faithful member in Christ's church and serve as his representatives in the world? We say that at our baptism. Part of Lent is taking our baptismal covenant seriously. St. Jerome said in the 4th and 5th centuries that our baptism is our ordination. You don't have to have a stole to be ordained. You're baptized. You're under the power and the authority of Jesus Christ to change the world. Listen to what you hear at your baptism. Second thing that I'll say in closing is that if we want to prepare and to gain some perspective, prepare to come down off the mountain and follow Jesus to the cross, the one thing that we can do is to love. Love is not a noun, it's a verb. Love, when in doubt. John Wesley showed us this. When Methodism was founded in the 18th century, it was founded during a tremendous social upheaval. It, it, it was founded, it was born out of tension and chaos. The Industrial Revolution was, was happening and, and there was a disconnect between the church and, and England and John Wesley was trying to figure out how to, how to make all that happen and rectify all of that. And so one of the things he noticed, he saw a need in his community, much like we have seen so many needs in our community, and he noticed that children were being used as labor in the factories and, and that kind of thing and not receiving the education. Uh, education was very highly valued, as it still is in Methodism. So 
What he decided to do was to fling open the doors on Sunday and say, if they're not going to receive children, are not going to receive an education throughout the week, then we will educate them on Sundays. You know it as Sunday school for that very reason. It was during that same time when slavery was the normative practice that the people called Methodists renounced this form of evil, injustice, and oppression by speaking truth to power and calling for an end to it. It wasn't popular for them to say that. But Methodists have always been on the front lines of combating hard issues and trying to create space for everyone. And we will continue to be that. Were these times hard? Yes. Were they too hard, as the bishop says? No. Because the people called Methodists, we, we shoulder our crosses daily and we follow where Jesus is leading and we lay at the feet of the cross all of these issues that Jesus can swallow up and make new, as he says, if we'll listen. The Methodist movement, it will continue if it is driven by love, love for God and love for people. And so maybe one of our congregational, our joint disciplines this year, in addition to removing the labels, maybe one of our, our congregational disciplines is to identify ways that our hearts can break for whatever breaks God's heart. And our hearts can break for, for people for whom God's heart also breaks. So what if for the next 40 days we decided to have conversations with people who are different from us, from a different neighborhood, with a different dialect maybe, a different color, a different lifestyle, different political persuasion, different sides of the aisle theologically, differences in football and basketball teams. You decide. A different way of life altogether. And we can just listen to one another and have others listen to us and to learn our story too because baptism sends us out to listen in love Finally, I, there's one theologian I love, and, and she writes that it, it is so good to be here on this mountaintop in, in worship every week. But life happens between worship. We become the church between Sundays. What takes time is to have this story of Christ lived out among the community of saints and sinners. I think that's all of us. And to be transfigured slowly together like water forming a rock. It is good to be here, friends. But it is challenging to set our eyes on the cross and on the needs of, of our community. So welcome to Lent. Will you pray with me? Holy and challenging God, we prepare our minds and our hearts and our hands and our feet even now for the work that is ahead of us. For the next 40 days, Lord, we need opportunities to be the body of Christ, to take up our crosses through listening by being courageous enough to sit in silence to learn a story different from ours and to be vulnerable enough to share our story.
We thank you, Lord, for Jesus, who has already led the way and is leading the way for us now. Continue to be our vision, O Lord of our hearts. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.